0: (laughs) oh all this food today oh hello when did you arrive ah yeah I I know the feeling yeah it's a bit I get you I feel your pain (laughs) oh anyway I am full stuffed with great food today now, it's not a problem if you fall asleep because you're full. It's a problem if I do. <laughs> I've I got further to fall than you sitting on chairs. <sighs> so how's the day been for you? Yeah, cool. That's good. Just to say about the resources, if you, you thought about oh you wanted to get some resources, but you didn't bring cash with you. I have a little machine that takes credit cards, so just to let you know I became a christian um and was very quick to oh you're 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 showing more attention than anyone tonight love I love dogs, sorry, I get distracted by dogs. So having him and Zach around, it's just, you know, it's just no good. <laughs> but, and I, I threw myself into learning about God. And I, so I, I thought I knew what God was like, I, what God approved of and didn't approve of. And, but I was walking on a completely different road from God, a totally different concept of who he is and what he's like. And I spent so many years living my life out of that misconception that I was speaking about this afternoon. And Jesus knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to be amongst religious people who actually had a misconception of who God is. He came to Israel, a religious community who knew God. You know, They spent the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament the beginning of the New Testament trying to preserve the culture of Israel. That was why the Pharisees began the Hasidim. And their raison d'etre was to preserve the culture and religion of Israel and stop it from becoming polluted by all these Greek influences. And so they knew what God was like. They knew what he approved of and didn't approve of. They knew what would contaminate Judaism and what would keep it pure. And Jesus came to these people, saying to them, "Um, I'm sorry, but no one knows the Father except the Son. I mean, how offensive must that have been to these people? He's questioning the reason for their existence. And I, I realised that everyone in different cultures, and even within the same culture, has a different idea of who God is. We all have our own idea of what he's like. When I was a little boy, I, I read a book called um, Chariots of the Gods by a man called Eric von Deineken. And I went to the cinema to watch the documentary. And I was convinced that he—he he was onto something. You know, this thing we call God and Jesus—and he, he wasn't a miracle worker. He had advanced alien technology. He was a spaceman. I don't believe that now, because in these days I've discovered a father who is unlike anyone I've ever known. He's nothing like the angry God I, I learned about in childhood and Jesus comes to Israel telling stories about this father people had known about God their whole lives they they'd memorized his word by the time they were 12 years old some of them and Jesus is saying he's not who you think he is he doesn't behave the way you think he should behave and throughout the scriptures we get little vignettes, little pictures of what, Jesus, uh, what father is like so he begins to say to people come and follow me And when they begin to follow him, he sits them down and begins to speak about his father to them. So we see that through Matthew 5 and and 6. It's all about the father. He eventually says, you know, your father knows what you need. So don't worry about all the other stuff. You just focus on relationship with him and he'll give you everything else. He says that it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He said that if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him? He said to his followers, Don't worry what to say when you stand in front of kings and rulers, because it will be the Spirit of my Father giving you the words to say. But we come to the passage of Scripture, where Jesus gives us more than just a little glimpse of the Father, more than just a little snapshot He gives us a fuller picture of what this father is like. And he begins by telling us about a lost sheep and the shepherd that goes looking for the sheep. And he tells us about a lost coin that the woman empties her house out to find. And then he tells us about a lost son. I won't read the whole passage. It's a long passage of scripture. You know where it is if you want to follow with me. And we call this the story of the prodigal son. The son who asks for his inheritance and leaves home and everything else. But I prefer to think of it as the story of the lost sons. Or the story of the prodigal father. Do you know what prodigal means? Wastefully extravagant. Yet, lavish is another, you know, he lavished his love on us. He wastefully <laughs> and extravagantly loved us. <laughs> How cool is that? This is not a story about the backsliders coming home. It's not a story about sinners getting saved. It's a story of a father. It's all about the father. Jesus is telling us a story about his dad, not a random stranger. And we understand that when we understand his mission is to reveal the father, to make him known to us. So what we have is we have this father whose son comes early to ask for his inheritance. Which is rude. Basically he's saying, dad I can't wait for you to die. Give me my money. (laughs) That's how it's perceived. I don't think that was the attitude he asked with, but it's how it's perceived. Now look at the father's reaction. He gives him what he asks for. I mean, this is incredible. The boy is rude, he's cheeky, he's quite brazen and in that society's eyes is very disrespectful and dishonouring. And it appears that the father rewards his disrespect. He gives him what he asked for. And I, I can imagine the religious Jews are, are pretty furious because they know the law says that this boy should be stoned. This can't be a story about the Holy One of Israel because he would not do this. But as as someone mentioned, that word lavished, Karen said it earlier, he lavished his love and grace upon us. Basically it means that his love and grace is out of balance with everything else. (laughs) You know, if you lavish the butter on your bread, it means you've put too much butter on your bread. That's true. I, I, I mean, I'm talking about other people who, who might consider it too much. <laughs> but I agree that you can never have too much butter on your bread. <laughs> and so, you know, basically, he, Paul said that he gave us too much love and grace. <laughs> more than was enough. And that's what this father is doing with his son. He's, he's given his son more than she, is expected, more than he should And I've heard so many stories about, you know, the the boy leaves home. And I've heard all sorts of stories about how he's sick of being with his father. He can't live under his father's rule. And I don't believe that that's the case because Jesus is telling this story for three reasons. One is to demonstrate what the father is like. And one is to show what Israel is like. But that bit about Israel is split into two. So we have the ordinary Jew represented by the younger son. And we have the religious community, represented by the older son. And I think the son leaves home because he's sick and tired of his brother's overbearing, self-righteous, arrogant behaviour. You see, in, in those days, and still today in, in, the, in ultra-Orthodox communities, there's a belief that if every Jew living in Israel keeps the law perfectly for 24-hour period, Messiah will come. Now, of course, the religious Jew keeps the law perfectly. So it must be the ordinary man in the streets' fault that Messiah has not come. And so this is why you see little pictures of the the Pharisees being so disparaging of the ordinary people. God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like this miserable little worm here. But I tithe, I pray, I give my sacrifices and offerings. So it's not my fault, God, that you haven't come back. It's his fault. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting of these two sons and this father. And so I think the son is sick of living under his overbearing brother's treatment. You know, when when he comes home, we see it, don't we? He, he can't even say, when my brother comes home, or, or when Johnny comes home. He says, when this son of yours comes home. He won't even own relationship with him. And so this boy leaves not just his home, but his country, and goes to a distant country. Leaving behind everything, his culture, his religion, his... Customs and all of all of the else. He rejects it all. And according to his brother, he goes off and lives a life of debauchery, spending all of his dad's money on prostitutes. And Jesus said when he came to his senses, after all the money had gone, and of course when the money was gone, all the friends were gone too. I know that feeling. And he comes to his senses and he, but it's very interesting why he comes to his senses. He doesn't come to his senses because, oh my goodness, oh, what a fool I've been. Ah, oh, my dad's amazing, I'll go back to my dad. He he's, comes to his senses because he's hungry, not because he's sorry. And his only thought is, if I go back to my father's house and say, I will become like one of your hired men. Those were men who were, who were paid a daily wage. But they were hired each morning afresh. He's saying, if I become like one of them, they have plenty of food. I'll get something to eat. And so his journey home, and he's rehearsing his story, getting his story right. You know, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired men. It wasn't repentance. It was hunger that was driving him. And he's rehearsing this story all the way home to get it right. So that, because he's hoping that if he gets his story right, if he gets the pitch of it right, it will allay his father's anger, it will push back any, any punishment that might be coming his way. It will stop them from stoning him. He's thinking, and if I can just persuade him to take me as one of the hired men, of one of those paid servants, and do a good job, then, then perhaps he won't be so angry with me. And this whole revelation of the Father is not about sinners falling into the hands of an angry God or avoiding falling into the hands of an angry God. It's the story of a father whose children are lost and he wants to bring them home. That's why Jesus begins with the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then he's talking about the lost sons. The interesting thing is that the Father has not changed his attitude towards his son. He's not given up on him. He's not, you know, when the son left home, he was, this is my father, I am his son. Now he's coming home thinking, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've messed up. And all I can think of is how to stop you from being angry. And to do that, I'll become a servant. He thinks that somehow his lifestyle, his experience in that distant country has disqualified him from the position of sonship. And he can't return as a son, but as a servant. But that is, he is not, his status has not changed in his father's eyes. It's never entered the father's head to disown the son that he loves. You know, when, when the, the sheep was lost, did it belong to the shepherd while it was lost? It may not have been in his company, in his flock, in his possession, but it still belonged to him. When the coin was lost, did it belong to the woman while it was lost? And it's the same with the son. While he was lost, he still belonged to his father. It's the same with the lost in our world today. They still belong to the father. They live estranged from him. They don't know his goodness and his kindness and his generosity. They're living no different from slaves. is what Paul says in Galatians. But he wants to bring them home so that they know what it is to come into the full rights of sons. To step into their inheritance. God our Father has not given up on humanity. Since before the foundations of the earth, we have belonged to him. We were conceived in his own heart. And we may have got lost. We may have become like Nemo, disobeying our dads and wandering off. But our Father has not stopped looking out for us. I think it's interesting that this Father saw his son while he was a long way off. It wasn't like suddenly he opened the door and went, Oh! I didn't know you were back. He he, he must have been standing there. I don't know, perhaps he did, it was a routine of his. Perhaps he stood there and just thought, I wonder where he is. I wonder when he's coming home. I wonder if he's okay. I wonder if he's been a success or a failure. Or I wish I had some news of him. The patience of this father to just wait. He didn't go chasing after his son to bring him home because he knew that his son would not hear what he had to say. His son would not listen to his his remonstrations to bring him home. And so he waited until his son was ready to come home. I think it speaks a lot to how we do evangelism. The father is gently trying to woo his children back home while we're trying to beat them with a stick and scare them out of hell. But this father, in his tenderness and his patience, he waited until his son was ready. And when he comes home, he doesn't lecture him. You notice that when, when the son comes home? It, you know, if it was me, and I, and I wonder when he's coming home, and I'm getting agitated, and I'm getting up to high do, and, and I'm crossing my arms, and I'm tapping my toes, and thinking, oh, wait till I get a hold of him. I'd be worried sick. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He sees him from a long way off, and he runs to him. It's never entered God's head to disown his children. You know, back to what we were saying in the last in, in in this afternoon session. The God, the Father of the Garden, hasn't changed, so it's never entered his head to cut us off and disown us as his children. In fact, Paul says that in Acts seventeen, doesn't he? He says we are all his offspring. Your failures have not changed his heart towards you. It will not change how he treats you. You've always been his son. You've always been his daughter. And just like Adam changed his approach to God, mankind has been afraid to approach him as he really is. We thought he's this awful, terrible deity like Molech or something. Where we have to make sacrifices to appease him and keep him quiet. We've misunderstood his love. And just as he didn't punish Adam in the garden, this father doesn't punish the son when he comes home. He doesn't discipline him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't limit him. He doesn't say, well, son, let's wait a few months. And while you're a servant, we'll assess your behavior. We'll assess your progress. You know, we'll have a meeting every Friday afternoon. And we'll see how you're doing as a son. And we'll assess whether we can reinstate you back into that place or not. You understand I, I have to be cautious because, you know, if I let you away with this, other people might start to behave the same way. And that scares me. I can't have that. And so I'm afraid I'm gonna have to limit you. I'm gonna have to press down on you and keep you under control until you've learned your lesson. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't punish him. Instead, he comforts him. The son is coming home. Yeah, he might not be repentant, but there is distress there. He's hungry. His clothes are in rags. He's ruined everything. He's lost his lot. He has proven that he is a failure in life. And what the father does when he throws his arms around him is he comforts him. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. And so the son's experience in coming home is to a father's embrace, not to a rod of discipline, not, a, not to a punishment, not to wrath and anger. I think sometimes we misinterpret that word in the Bible. That we, we translate it wrath. It's very often passion. And so when the son comes home, his father doesn't try and fix him. He doesn't try and get him to see the error of his ways and, and understand the, the damage it's brought to the Father's reputation. He welcomes him with open arms, with joy, with warmth, with love, with affection. And that's the Father that Jesus wants to lead us to. The love that poured into our, our places of brokenness and windedness and pain and shame and everything else. It says it's okay. I've got you. Don't worry. Let me comfort you. I wonder if the Jews, the Jewish religious establishment, were listening to this story and thinking, when the father began to run to the son, think, "Yeah, he's going to pick up the first stone," <laughs> and that's not what happens. And they, they they perfectly portray the elder brother. They become indignant because this father didn't do the right thing. He shouldn't be celebrating his son. He, he should be sitting him down and, and making sure he understands what he did wrong and, and why it's important he doesn't do it again. This can't be God because this father has a party. He celebrates his son. Jesus is saying, you know, this, this God you think, you know, he's not a, gout, a scowling, grumpy, killjoy. He's a loving, joyful, celebrating father who just welcomes sons and daughters home with outstretched arms and an embrace. This son is coming home, he's expecting punishment, he's expecting anger and rejection, and so he thinks, if I get in first with my, I will be a hired man, then perhaps it will allay the the punishment, it will put off the, the judgment and the discipline that I'm expecting but we see when he comes with his story, oh, you know, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired men. And the father doesn't answer him, does he? He ignores it. He actually ignores him and doesn't speak to him. He, he turns to the servant and says, quick, go and get the best robe. Bring a ring, bring some shoes, all of that stuff. Get the fatted calf ready. We're going to have a party. Because he was dead and now he's alive. He's not, he's not actually spoken to the son. <laughs> he's just like, oh, don't be silly. You know, wait there, we'll get you up, then we'll get everything sorted. You know, instead of the punishment and discipline he expected, he got kindness and favour and blessing. And What would you have done if it was your son? You see, this, this father breaks the cultural norm. I mean, he ran. I mean, dignified men didn't do that because it meant they had to lift their robes up and expose themselves. That's disgraceful for a man of status and reputation to do. And he thinks nothing of his reputation. The son is unclean. He's been with pigs. The father would know that. He, He smells of pig. The father is a Jew. He knows what pigs smell like so that he can avoid them. He's unclean. He shouldn't be touched because if you touch him, you become unclean too. What does this father do? He throws his arms around him and hugs him. He makes himself unclean. That's against the Jewish law. One who is unclean should be taken outside of the camp for seven days to be cleansed until they can become part of the community again. What this father does is he takes the son into the house instead. Again, he's broken the Jewish law. This son should be punished for his dishonor. Instead, the father celebrates him. He's broken the law and he should be stoned. But instead of stoning, the father kisses him. He's forfeited all of his rights, but instead the father gives him a cloak and shoes and a ring. In effect, he's saying, this is my son whom I love. He's reinstating him back into his place of inheritance. He's lost everything. And it's the best robe in the house that he's given. He comes home hungry and it's the best in the house that is fed to him. And I when I saw this, I suddenly thought, Oh my goodness. This is Jesus' father that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying, God broke the law. <laughs> God broke the law. God did the wrong thing. But see, if you're living out of that wrong tree, if you're living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then God did it wrong. I know it's exciting, isn't it? And it's interesting. Jesus said once, He said, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, He can do only whatever He sees the Father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Well, Jesus did the wrong thing. He didn't stone the woman caught in adultery. And the Jews were very clear. Jesus, our law says that she must be stoned. What do you say? Jesus went through Samaria. No good self-respecting Jew goes through Samaria. According to the Jews, they were half-breeds. Because they couldn't prove their Jewish lineage. Not only does he make himself unclean going through Samaria, but he speaks to a Samaritan woman who is an adulteress. Can this man get any worse? He accompanies his disciples as they're picking corn on the Sabbath and eating it. He heals the man on the Sabbath. And he, he does a very unchristian thing. He makes a whip and goes into the temple with it. Can you imagine that I'm selling those resources there and some guy comes in and starts turning it over and shouting, how dare you? (laughs) That's basically what Jesus was doing. That's not very Christian. That's not very nice and loving. And Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. (laughs) And I know some of you are thinking, well, but God gave the law. He did. But I believe that was him relating to mankind on mankind's terms. You see, Israel wanted to be a nation like all the other nations. So he gave them laws like other nations had. He gave them a king like other nations had. His desire for relationship was so great that he humbled himself to come and relate to mankind on their terms. Just like this father, he came running to his son and came down to his son's level and made himself unclean alongside his son. The law was not so important to him. What was important was that his son knew that he is loved. That was the father's utmost concern. It's still his utmost concern today. That his children would know they are loved. That they're not horrible, stinking, filthy sinners who cannot be touched or looked upon by God. But they are children who have been lost and broken and hurt and wounded and shamed. And he's a father who comes and embraces them and comforts them and leads them inside and reinstates them. That they might know they have never lost their place in his affections. You know, any servant can obey orders. Any servant can hear the voice of the master and repeat his words. That's what the prophets did in the Old Testament. But it's sons who enjoy relationship and intimacy. The father doesn't open his heart to the servants. He opens his heart to his sons and daughters. If we see ourselves as servants, hired out, to the master, working for some kind of reward, then we will not know intimacy with the father. We will not walk in as sons and daughters with him. We will behave like servants to a master, living in fear of being sacked <laughs> and hoping for a reward. But sons and daughters, they reveal the heart and the spirit of their father. Not just the words, but the, what is behind the words, the, the emotion, the sentiment that is in it. And so Jesus presents Israel with a father, which is outrageous. I mean, God was, in a, some kind of general sense, the father of the nation. But personal father? That's, that was blasphemy. Because God was too holy to be that close to a man. Certainly he would never be that close to a woman sorry ladies, but that was how you, you were seen and still are seen in Judaism but he doesn't just paint the picture of a father he paints the picture of a father who is kind and loving and generous and and embracing and this whole thing of the love of the father this father heart thing that people talk about this it's not a theory, it's not a doctrine that we need to get a hold of it's not a teaching to to get a hold of and put on the bookshelf with all the other books You know, I've done my worship conference, my intercession conference, my prophecy conference. Now I've done my Father Heart weekend. Tick that box. Put that on the shelf with all the rest. Understand that this revelation of his love is the bookshelf upon which everything sits. And without this, everything falls. It's just cold and lifeless. His love is real. It's a tangibility to it. And what we're learning in this revelation is that we can live in the constant flow of being loved by our Father. Love that will bring us into intimacy with Him. Where He will begin to open His heart and say, look, this is who I really am. And we learn it's okay to open up our hearts to Him and say, this is who I really am, God. And I don't always like who I really am. That's what intimacy does. It opens your heart, and it says, "This is who I am." I just—I I love that the Father doesn't put any conditions upon His Son's return. He's not—you know—I said the other night—he's he, not looking for more servants. <coughs> he has enough servants because that's what the angels are, isn't it? They? they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who are inheriting salvation. And the son doesn't need to perform any kind of religious ceremony or any kind of sacrifice in order to come home. He doesn't have to sit down and listen to a big long lecture about how bad he's been. He doesn't have to give any promises about his future conduct. He's not put on probation. And we, you know, we look at this and I think we look at it with the eyes of the older brother that says, but love needs to be tough. Sin needs to be dealt with. They needs to be seen to be dealt with. Well, one, sin was dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross. And two, this father does deal with sin, but just not the way we think he should. You know, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 2 that it's the goodness of God or the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And a lecture would not change this son's heart. This son knows he's messed up. And so instead of the lecture that he 's expecting, instead of the punishment he 's expecting, what he gets is unexpected grace and forgiveness before he 's asked for it and I believe that that changed his heart. The long walk home you know who knows Mumford and Sons here yeah there there 's a song called "Roll away your stone and this is this is what marcus Mumford wrote he wrote. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with a restart. He's writing about this this parable. And so this father doesn't deal with his son's rebellion and sin and everything else as we think he should. Instead of a lecture and punishment and discipline and, and probation, he meets him with kisses, he covers him, He clothes him, he restores him, he throws a party for him. He's just glad his son is home and he wants his son to know how much he is loved. He doesn't hold his son up to public ridicule. He doesn't get him to the city gates in front of the elders and say, this is my son who was disrespectful and dishonoring. He spent his money on prostitutes and booze and everything else. Go on son, tell them all what you've done. Tell them how bad you've been. I'm sorry, you know, the father's saying to the mum, I'm sorry you have to listen to this. I'm sorry that you're getting embarrassed and shamed by this. But we do that to people, don't we? You've done wrong, so I want you to stand up in front of the whole church and tell them what you did wrong. And your wife and kids have to sit there and listen to it. That's really loving. But this father doesn't do that. He runs to his son and he covers his shame. He covers his failure. He covers his raggedness and filth. And I want to show you a video that I think um, is a great kind of like visual uh, demonstration of that. And in 1992 at the Barcelona Olympics, Derek Redmond was the 400 metres gold medal favourite. This this video is what happened in the semi-final. i I love that video because for me it's just a perfect picture of what this father did in Luke fifteen. He runs to he runs to his son in the midst of his shame and disgrace. The whole world is watching Derek Redmond fail, yeah, I knew he wouldn't do it. I knew it something bad, yeah whatever, but his father doesn't leave him to to do it alone. In fact, apparently what happened was um, Derek Redmond tells the story, he said you know, these stewards are trying to get him off the track but he's just got this thing in that no, I need to finish. And he's limping along and the whole world is going yeah, that looks really awkward. (laughs) And then he hears this voice behind him saying come here. And he tries to shrug him off and says it's me son. And that's when you see him getting into his father's shoulder and, and crying. And the story the next day in the newspapers wasn't about Derek Redmond failing to qualify for the final. It was about his father's love for him. His father in him. His father standing alongside him and covering his shame and everything else. And actually, no one slagged off Derek Redmond for that. Because there's a beautiful story of a father's love. If that's what a human being does for his son, what is our dad in heaven like? This son knows he's messed up. And he's expecting the lecture of the punishment, the discipline, the rejection, and everything else, and he gets the opposite. In fact, his father covers up, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. And his father covers his son's sins with his embrace and then with this cloak, this robe. He hides his son from the disapproval of, of onlookers and neighbours. I don't know if there were people watching this young man coming home. And he doesn't want to expose his, his son. He doesn't want to shame this broken young man. He He's not going to give people time to judge him. But he covers up his son's failure, just like he did in the garden when he put the cloak of skins on Adam. Before anyone can react with cries of condemnation or, or cries for his stoning, His father runs to him and covers his shame and filth and guilt and actually says to him, I love you. I accept you as you are. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been or who you've done it with, you're my son. And nothing, nothing can ever change that. It will never change my love for you. No matter what you've done, even if you've pained my heart, I still love you. And I love the fact that this father treats the religious angry son the exact same way. You know, this son comes in from the fields, he's been working hard. Probably in the, in the years since his, his brother has left home, he's had to pick up some of his brother's work. So he feels as though he's sleeving away. And he comes out back and he hears the sound of a party. And he calls a servant over and said, what's going on? Ah, your brother's come home, he's he's returned alive and your father's celebrating. Oh, he is, is he? Ah, oh, that's, that's blooming great, that is. Are you coming in to join us? I'm a heck. You, you can't, get, get out of my face before I hit you. And servant goes says to the father, I'm um, a bit awkward, sir. Your other son's outside and he's not in a very good mood. He appears to be a little bit upset. That you're having a party for his brother. Now if it was me, I would say, hey, what's he on about? Trying to put a damper on this atmosphere. Drag him in here, get him in here, I want to have a word with him. But this father doesn't do that. Jesus said that the father goes out to him and pleads with him. The son is angry and threatening violence and all kinds of things. And the father comes out and says, please son, please come in. Please please don't stay out here. Don't behave like this, please. Your brother's home, safe and sound. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been slaving for you for all these years and you've never given me anything. But when this son of yours comes home, the one who squandered all your money with prostitutes, you have a big party for him? I don't think I'll come into that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at the very start of the story Jesus says he divided the property between them. Those goats were not the father's to give him. They were his to take. So many of us live this strict religious life, not realizing the inheritance we have been given by our father. So many Christians are missing out on their inheritance, which is why Jesus came. That's what Paul speaks about in Galatians 4 when he says, when the time was right, his son was born to a woman under law that he might redeem those who were under law. Why does he want to redeem them? So that they might receive the full rights of sons. In other words, that they might come into the inheritance that has been promised them. That's what redemption is about. That's what salvation is about. And so many of us are living a Christian life that is devoid of any sense of hope and and inheritance. We're slaving away for a reward and we get so angry and so disgruntled because all of these people have been blessed and God never gives us anything. Some good father he is. I've been slaving away all these years and he's never given me anything. Everything I've got, I've got by my own hands. And the father comes to this son who's behaving like that and he's saying, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But this brother of yours was dead and alive. He was lost and is found. I had to celebrate. This father in the story that we read about, he's revealing the true nature of our father in heaven. Jesus is saying, this is what your father is like. This father that I've given you little vignettes of, this father I've given you little snapshots of, this is what he is. This is who he is. This is what he's like. He will go beyond the law in order to rescue you and let you know that you're loved. It's not about the law. It's about love. It's about relationship. The law was just a way of maintaining relationship. I so think that many of us expect to come to God to be chastised and disciplined and dis- disapproved of because we're not qualified, we're not made of the right stuff. But he doesn't do that. He embraces. I don't know if the other son actually allowed himself to be embraced. I don't know if his anger subsided enough that he let the father put his arms around him. I think Jesus deliberately leaves that hanging because he's saying to the religious people will you come into that embrace or will you stay outside the party? It's, do you, have you read C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia Chronicles? You know in, in the last battle the dwarves everyone is, is having this great party and feasting. and uh, wow Aslan's kingdom is fully here and and the dwarves are sitting in a dark shed going, "Mm, these these turnips are moldy. (laughs) They're the grumpy, angry religious son who won't join the party. And I think Jesus deliberately leaves it open-ended because he's saying to those religious Jews who are listening, will you come and experience the Father's embrace? He's pleading with you. He's saying, please don't stay in this place of self-righteousness this mindset of slavery and reward, please come out of that place and come and experience the father's embrace. Come and join the party with the younger son who's not his son but your brother. The father reminds him of that, doesn't he? He doesn't say, when this son of mine came home. He said, when this brother of yours has come home. There's no conditions on on homecoming and restoration. He just wants his kids to know that they're loved that's our heavenly father he just wants us to know that we are loved and I think so often we're like both of these sons I think sometimes I've fluctuated between the younger son who's rebellious and profligate and the older son who's angry and self-righteous sorry is that just me again I have to stop doing that You know, one thinks he's a servant who, who who will perform some duties in order to alleviate his father's displeasure and dishonour and, and make him happy. Another one thinks he's been slaving away trying to make his father happy and he's not happy with him. But what we see in this story and throughout the scriptures is that the father is the one who brings his love to his children. It doesn't say that The world was in such a mess we asked God to send his son. But it was his love that caused his son to come. It was his love that came into the garden to cloak Adam. and It's his love that comes to us to embrace us also. And (laughs) the... if we can see it this whole of scripture is the story of a father who carries his love to his children in their rebellion in their weakness in their failure in their brokenness and I think so much of Christianity is based on the misconception of who he is and and how he behaves towards us and we think we're only fit to be servants to the master when in fact we're called to be sons to the father and it's not a formal kind of good evening Potter." you know it's like I'm very pleased you asked me into the drawing room, Father. It's not like that at all. He's Abba. That's what Jesus called him. And the greatest delight for me that brought that home was holidaying in Israel. Well, holidaying in Israel was a great delight anyway. But sitting on the beach opposite the Princess Hotel and hearing little kids calling their dad. And do you know what they were calling out? Abba. Still what they call their dad today. So they weren't going along the beach just going, father or I would like an ice cream they went daddy, 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 daddy I want ice cream and the word they used was Abba dad, daddy, papa which is the intimate word that Jesus used and Paul says that we can use, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts by whom we cry Abba, father The joy of his heart is incredible when we come into his embrace when that son was running and uh, when that son was coming home, father sorry, the father runs to him now he 's excited. Yes, my son is finally home. This is the day i 've been waiting for and I, I imagine he 's he's getting a bit excited, but then he 's running, which causes his blood to pump through his body faster, and so when he throws his arms around his son and grabs him. The son is conscious of this heart beating away, like this. That said something to that son about his father's love for him. That's when he began to change. Not on the road, but the welcome he received with a restart, as Mumford and Sons sing. And I kind of imagine his joy a bit like this. I've got another video before we we do some ministry time. And I think his joy was a little bit like this. It spoils it by being a T mobile advert, but never mind. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were one of those people walking out of the of of T five at Heathrow and and you you come into that? I mean, you saw some of the faces that were bemused and like, "What the heck? I wasn't expecting this." I, I think that's like kind of what it was like for that boy. He, he's like, "I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting something a lot different on my homecoming, but this." I never imagined this. And one of the things we believe in Father Heart Ministries, we saw something in that embrace. That as the father put his arms around his son, something began to change in that boy's heart. He began to open his heart to the possibility that he is loved by his father and he has not been disowned. And so... The man who began Father Heart Ministries with James Jordan, Jack Jack Winter, he began to pray for people, putting his arms around them, And he would just pray, Father, I pray these arms of mine become your arms around this person. And I pray that as your love is pouring into their hearts, they would just become that little boy or girl who needs to be loved. And they would find themselves held in the embrace of a loving father. Unlike any they've ever known. Or words to that effect. And so we, what we want to do is offer that to you tonight. It's not compulsory, you don't have to do this, but if you think, you know what, I want to just come and be a little boy or a little girl who needs to be loved and let that love be poured into my heart, then we would love to do that with you. And it's not a, it's not a cuddle, because cuddles are something I keep from my wife. And sometimes Dogs. it's not a a daddy hug hugs are things I give my friends when I'm pleased to see them it's an embrace and we believe there's almost something sacramental in it in that there's an impartation it's like the laying on of hands and you know don't come expecting to get something from me or any of the team You're not coming to receive from us. You're coming and we are just a conduit where you can open your heart to Father and say, Father, I'm just a little boy. I'm just a little girl who needs to be loved. I want to know your embrace. I want to know what it is to be welcomed home into that place Jesus has prepared for me. And I believe that he meets us. us. When I was prayed for in that way, I didn't feel anything. I thought nothing had happened. And then James Jordan got up in the next session and he said, you know, when Jack Winter prayed for me in 1979, I didn't feel anything. I thought, whoa. Because I've listened to you, I've watched you, you carry something. You might not have felt that something, but something happened and it gave me hope that God had indeed done something in my heart. And so I believed that he had poured his love into my heart, even though I didn't feel anything. You know, and, and it was a few weeks later that I heard him speak to me and call me son. James tells that quite a good story he he said 19 years later he's on a bus in South Korea with Jack Winter and he says to Jack both of them are men of few words so this conversation which I will relate to you in about 30 seconds took about 5 minutes Jack do you remember when you prayed for me and after a pause Jack said "Mm mhm and James is thinking well how do I approach this he says um Jack I didn't feel anything and Jack just said "Mm mhm And James is is working up the courage. How can I ask him? He said, "Um, Jack, did you feel anything? And he said it felt like an eternity before Jack looked at him with a little grin on his face and he said, well, I was believing. (laughs) And he thought, you rascal, you didn't feel anything either. (laughs) It's not about feelings. It's not about experiences. It's about the reality of the substance of his love being poured into open hearts and open spirits. And you don't have to wrestle for it, you just receive it. And so we're going to put on some music. In fact, I'm going to play John Nuttall's song, um, Welcome Home. Um, in fact, the, the, the soundtrack to... The, oh, Todd's sick. Whoa. <laughs> um The song on the the Derek Redmond um, video, that was also from John Nettles' first CD, which this track is from. And I just want you to listen to the words of this song, and then the team are going to come, we're going to just kind of spread out here, and if you want to come and know that embrace, if you want to come as a little boy or girl who needs to be loved, then we would love to do that. How long does it take? If it takes more than a minute, it's probably too long. (laughs) It doesn't take long for love to be poured into our hearts. So we're not going to get all heavy prophesying on you and all that kind of stuff. It's just okay. Come as a little kid who needs to be loved and let your father love you. But listen to the words of the song first and just let this minister to you. So I just want to pray with you, and then the team will come and join me here, and whenever you feel you want to come forward, if that's what you want to do, to whoever you feel comfortable coming to, then just do that. So Father, we're just here, little boys and girls on that road, wondering what kind of reception we'll receive, because we've forgotten what you're like. Just like this son has forgotten who you really are. And there's a little bit of nervousness and apprehension because how will you receive us? What will happen? Because we can't, Father, we can't conceive of a love that isn't subject to conditions or disapproval. And so, Father, we're just saying, Here I am, Papa. I just need to know your comfort and kindness. Thank you, you're so much bigger and nicer and kinder than I ever thought. And so here I am. I'm on that road. Father, as I walk out here to the front, I, I pray that you will run towards me. That I will see those outstretched arms wrapping me in your embrace. I thank you, Father. You are a good, good father. And I'm always and always have been your adored and loved child. I've not always seen that. I've not always lived in that But I thank you, Father, that is the reality. That you are my Father and I am your loved child. And so, Father, I come to your embrace to reacquaint myself with that love. Thank you, Papa. Amen. Amen.